who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see, so, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Mystery Theater presents... This is Christopher Lee, the host of Mystery Theatre. Radio is a medium without borders. During the Golden Age, the finest actors, writers and directors were eager to perform live for an instant audience of millions. And few programs enjoyed the reputation of suspense. It originated in New York, but soon moved to Hollywood where it attracted the movie capital's best talents. We'll hear a broadcast from the first full season there, starring Richard Dix, who would soon portray the Whistler in motion pictures. Our second offering is tough but jocular Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective, and we'll conclude with Herbert Marshall as the man called X. But first, death flies blind from suspense after these words. Welcome back to Mystery Theater. I'm your host, Christopher Lee. Richard Dix stars in Death Flies Blind, another tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. This is the man in black, here again to introduce Columbia's program, Suspense. Heading our starring Hollywood cast this evening is Mr. Richard Dix, who appears as a United States naval officer, who found himself in a remarkable predicament on what should have been an uneventful flight from New York to Philadelphia. As fellow passengers aboard the airliner are Miss Gail Page as a girl named Monica and Mr. Montague Love, who plays that aged and domineering millionaire Silas Naylor. 
A story by John Dixon Carr called Death Flies Blind is tonight's tale of suspense. If you have been with us on these Tuesday nights, you will know that suspense is compounded of mystery and suspicion and dangerous adventure. In this series are tales calculated to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, to offer you a precarious situation and then withhold the solution until the last possible moment. And so it is with Death Flies Blind and the performances of Richard Dix, Gail Page, Montague Love and our other players, we again hope to keep you in suspense. LaGuardia Field, Municipal Airport of New York. LaGuardia Field, vast behind its white buildings. On a gray spring afternoon when rain splashes across the runways, dims the sky, and spatters on the wings of a great silver-painted airliner waiting beyond. Already as the limousine bus from the New York terminus slowly draws up to the waiting shed, you can hear the loudspeaker. The big limousine bus besides its driver contains only two persons. One is a tall young man in United States Naval uniform with the stripes of a lieutenant commander around his sleeve. The other is a tall and dark-haired girl, her face a little frightened in the gloom. Flight 72, New York to Los Angeles. Plane ready to take off at gate number 6. Have your tickets ready, please. Fred, that, that can't mean us. Now, take it easy, Monica. We're not too late. They won't go without us. No, I mean it says New York to Los Angeles. That's right, Monica. We're only going to Philadelphia. You're still right, my dear. I arranged for a special stop at Philadelphia. It won't take long, and then they go on nonstop from there. Fred, that's just it. Who's going on from there? Oh, you'd be surprised. This airport bus must hold 20 people, but there's nobody in it except ourselves and the driver. Who's going on to Los Angeles or, or anywhere else? I uh, was going to tell you about that, Monica. All right, miss. All right, sir. Up under that shed and out the door on the other side. Oh, uh, got your tickets ready? Yes, I've got them. All set, Monica? The rain is certainly coming down. Do they take off when it rains like this? Oh, Miss, a little rain don't bother them. What does bother them is unsettled weather at other places. You mean it's, it's perfectly safe? They never take off, Miss, unless it is safe. You better hurry up now. There's the plane, Monica. Shall we run for it? Fred, I'd rather not run if you don't mind. Aren't getting nervous, are you? No. I know it's stupid of me. I've flown before. It's just all those few seconds before the takeoff. You're moving and the motors have been idling. All of a sudden they start to roar. The plane races ahead and the roar gets louder and suddenly you think, am I ever going to get down alive? Now look here, my dear. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Fred. I... There's nothing to worry about, you know. Of course not. I'll be good. It's just this dismal day and ghostly bus without any passengers and... Fred, look. Where? At the plane. They've got all the windows covered inside with little gray curtains. Oh, that's all right, Monica. It's only a wartime measure. Wartime measure? Yes. Just keep those curtains closed for some minutes after taking off and before landing. So no one can make maps or take pictures of our airports. Anything could happen up there, could No. And what's more, if you're worried about your fellow passengers, look over your shoulder. Well, there are some people coming through the gate. Yes, you see the little gray-haired man with the big fellow on each side of him? The secretary dashing around them like a destroyer in a convoy? You know, I've seen that gray-haired man somewhere before. You've seen his picture? 
That's Silas Naylor, the third richest man in the world. Those two big fellows are his bodyguard. Does he need a bodyguard? Well, I... Not more than most of us, I imagine. Okay. I don't like it. Oh, nonsense, my dear. Come on now, up the steps of the plane. Give your name to the air hostess at the door. That's it. Good afternoon, miss. May I have your name, please? Uh, I'm, um, I'm Monica Vale. You're the air hostess? That's right, Miss Vale. Take any seat you like. And you, sir? Onslow, Lieutenant Commander Fred Onslow. Oh, yes, Commander. We've had instructions about you. Happy to have you with us, even if it's only as far as Philadelphia. Thank you. May I take your overcoat or your briefcase? Only the overcoat, please. I'll keep the briefcase. Fred, look there. What is it now? That man you called Mr. Naylor's secretary. Light-haired man, rather good-looking. He's sprinting towards this plane as fast as he can run. Well, he'd better be careful on that slippery surface. He certainly has. Look out, man. Look out, man. Watch your step. Look out. Are you all right? Here, let me help you up. I'm all right, thanks. Perfectly all right. Air hostess. Yes, sir. Uh, My name is Michael Shepard. I'm Mr. Naylor's secretary, and I think there must be some mistake here. Mistake, sir? Yes, when Mr. Naylor travels, he's in the habit of booking every seat in the plane to ensure privacy. Yet we seem to have two extra passengers. Well, I'm afraid that's my fault, Mr. Shepard. Indeed, sir. Then would you and the young lady be good enough to take some later flight? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm afraid I can't do that. No, and why not? Maybe I ought to explain, Mr. Shepard, that Commander Onslow had last-minute orders to join his ship. He and Miss Vale have priority as far as Philadelphia. Philadelphia? Must we stop there? Only for a few minutes, Mr. Shepard. This is outrageous. Mr. Naylor is traveling, uh, in a sense, on government business. Well, so am I, old man. The Navy often does. Uh... That doesn't alter the principle of the thing. I, I don't want to seem ungracious, you understand. Mr. Naylor is always glad to help our, our brave soldiers and oh, sailors. Oh, love of Mike. Now, choir will now sing hymn number 242. Now the gorgeous But this right. time you've gone too far. I shall appeal to Mr. Naylor himself. Mr. Naylor, oh. Mr. Naylor. Yes, Mr. Shepard, I can hear you. What is it? Uh, this naval officer, sir, and the young lady. Oh, I know, Shepard, I know. Isn't the plane big enough for all of us? I was only following your orders, Mr. Naylor. You asked for privacy. All right, Shepard. What I'm asking for now is less noise. The lieutenant commander in the Navy, eh? That's right, Mr. Naylor. Off on another fishing trip, I suppose. That's just exactly right, sir. Ever have dispatched yet? No, never. Well, I have. 20000 a year I paid, paid doctors. And what do they give me? The stump. I'm not surprised you got priority, Commander. But I am a little surprised about the girl. She's my fiancée. Mr. Naylor, Miss Vale. Meet the rest of my family. These two bruisers here, including the one with the mouth organ, are my bodyguard. Mr. Cohen. I'm pleased to meet you, Commander. How do you do? This is Mr. O'Reilly. Glad to know you, Commander. How are things going? Hey, Cohen, can't, don't you ever get tired of playing that mouth organ? Stand away from the doors. I want to close it. Will everyone please take your seats and fasten the seatbelts? Are we ready to take off? Yes, in just a moment. Shepard. O'Reilly. Cohen. Come along to the front of the plane. Yes, sir. Oh, we'll sit in the back here, won't we, Fred? Uh, yes. Uh, yes, of course. I, um... Fred, is anything wrong? No. No, of course not. What? Why, what could be wrong? Then you'd better sit down. We're starting to move. That's good advice, Commander Onslow. But I must ask you, Miss Vale, not to touch the curtain on the window. Oh, how soon before we can open the curtain? As soon as we're well away from New York. You see that illuminated sign, no smoking, fasten seatbelts? Yes. What about it? When the lights and the sign go out, 
you can open the curtains and smoke as much as you like. Now, if you'll excuse me, certainly. You needn't try to fool me, Fred Onslow. I saw you. You saw what? I saw you pick up that scrap of paper one of those men dropped. Why, why that wasn't anything, Monica. May I see the paper? No. Why not? Well, because, uh, because I'd, I'd rather you didn't see it, that's all. There is something wrong, isn't there? Look, Monica, let me repeat over and over. What could be wrong? Why, there's Silas Naylor, an internationally famous figure, with a group of trusted attendants. Here's an ACA plane as safe and dependable as the old gray mare. All the same, all I... All the same what? I wish I hadn't brought you along. I wish there was some kind of an emergency cord, like a train, so that you could stop this plane whenever you Fifteen minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes. The great silver plane throbs against dead quiet. It's warm and stuffy in the cabin despite the hissing ventilator. Dim white reading lamps shine down on a double row of cushioned chairs along one side and a single row of cushioned chairs along the other. Ahead above the closed door to the pilot's control cabin, the red glowing sign still warns against opening those curtains. Aft in the plane sits Commander Onslow, his eyes fixed on the clock under that illuminated sign. Monica. Yes? What? It's not exactly all right. Fred, why do you say that? Because we should have been in Philadelphia five minutes ago. At least we should have been circling over the field. And we're not? No. But we're still 10 or 12,000 feet up if the pressure in my eardrums count for anything. And traveling like a bat out of Hades. Weather's delaying us, I guess, huh? Maybe it is. It's awfully bumpy, isn't it? Yes, a little. Makes you gasp for breath and your stomach turns. That was a bad one. Not getting airsick, are you? I don't think so. I wish I had some of that chewing gum they give you. Ring for the air hostess. She'll bring you some. I did ring the bell, Fred, and there's no answer. Oh, she's busy in the pantry back there, that's all. She didn't hear you. Here, I'll get you some gum. No, no, wait, I'll, I'll go. Sure you're all right? I want a powder my nose anyway. Besides, you're going to have company. Our Mr. Shepherd is weaving along this aisle as though he didn't like air pockets either. Well, thank the Lord, one of that party's awake up there. I thought they were all dead. Don't say that. Say what? Dead. A spooky plane with everything so quiet and dead itself. Remember how the pilot walked through a while ago and looked around and walked right back to the control cabin again? I didn't notice him. Oh, that's what I mean. It was like a ghost. (laughs) I'll be right back. I say, Commander Onslow. Yes, Mr. Shepard? Mind if I sit down? Not at all. Go ahead. Fact is, Commander, I want to apologize. Oh, that's all right. Forget it. I'm not such an ill-mannered guy as I must have sounded. It's no joke, you know, taking care of the chief. I've got to go ahead like a cyclone, so so that everything would be quiet when he gets there. And it's a great responsibility, too. I can imagine. I go on these long trips. There's the chief, half asleep, and O'Reilly reading detective magazines and coin with his mouth organ. Doesn't that mouth organ bother the old boy? No, he likes it. Especially when Coin plays the old square dances. Chief's a great man in his way. I was just wondering about that. Wondering what? Is it true? Stop me if I'm talking out of turn. Go ahead. We can trust the Navy. 
Is it true he's offered to design and build, at his own expense, a fleet of underwater cargo boats, uh, submersible freighters, up to five or 6,000 tons, that would do away with the submarine menace altogether? Where did you hear that? Oh, just a rumor. Is it uh, true? Uh, yes, it's true enough. You see, Mr. Shepard, I'm one of the few people who believe that that plan is practical. But there must be a lot of people who would like to see Mr. Naylor put out of the way. There are, Commander. Only they can't get at him. You're quite sure of that? Dead sure. Hitler himself isn't better guarded. Why, you could no more shoot or stab or poison the chief than you could... Well, what was that? What happened? Monica? Is anything wrong? Back there? Well, it's, it's all right, sir. It's only a noise in the pantry. We'll see to it. Monica! Monica, pull yourself together. What's wrong? It's that air hostess, Miss Lee. Well, what about her? She's lying back in the pantry among the broken dishes with her head all over blood. Somebody beat her over the head and left her there to die. Somebody? Yes. But nobody's gone back to the pantry. Nobody's gone past us except... Except the pilot, the co-pilot of this plane, remember? Excuse me, Mr. Shepard. I'm going to open the curtains on that window. Do you think it's wise, Commander? We were told not to. Well, we were told a lot of things. I'll just take the responsibility of... Good Lord! <gasps> there, there, Monica. Mr. Naylor, Mr. Naylor! Yes, son? What's up? Draw the curtain on your window and take a look down. If O'Reilly and Cohen have got guns, they better keep them handy. Is that so now? Why? Because we're not flying west. We're over the Atlantic Ocean now and headed straight out to sea. Gray water, thin cloud. We must be miles and miles away from land. We are miles away from land. Does anybody here know anything about first aid? I do, Commander. I studied medicine in the old days. Then you better go back and look after the hostess. We'll join Mr. Naylor. Steady, Monica. Well, I'm all right. This horrible blind feeling, that's it. Air pocket, look out. See, Commander, we're over the ocean. What the devil's going on here, eh? You're being kidnapped, Mr. Naylor. That's my guess. Kidnapped, did you say? Ah, come off it, Commander. We ain't as dumb as that. The pilot and the co-pilot of this plane are fakes. They've replaced the real officer. Ah. On a dark day like this, with their raincoat collars turned up, they could have gotten away with it. And hijacked us straight off the airfield. Is that it? Yes, I'm afraid so. The hostess must have spotted one of them and he knocked her out. Now, what about the airport? Wouldn't they know a plane was missing? Well, not until we failed to show up at Philadelphia. The pilot would report by radio telephone about, oh, 15 minutes out of New York. But after that, silence. Excuse me, Commander. You say these two fake pilots are still aboard in that compartment there with the closed door? Yes, that's right. Well, what are we waiting for, Corn? Did we get to work on them? You said it, Barney. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, both of you. You wouldn't be trying to stop us, would you, Commander? The one thing we don't want is a gunfight 12,000 feet up. Can any of you fly a plane? No, not one of us. Now, neither can I. So if anything happens to those two pilots, how are we going to get down? I see, young fellow. Well, what are you going to do? Now, first of all, we'll try rapping on the door. Have your gun ready. You can count on that, sir. Fred, Fred, listen to me. Be quiet, Monica. Has this anything to do with the scrap of paper you picked up off the floor? What scrap of paper? Never never mind, sir. Why, this door, it's unlocked. Unlocked? Now, don't take any fool chances, young fellow. The way I always did when I was your age. Stand to one side when you open that door. Let Cohen and O'Reilly take care of it. Good Lord. Well, the control cabin is empty. There's nobody at the controls. 
You mean we're... We're flying without a pilot? Yes. See that stick move back and forth? As though a ghost had hold of it? What do those crooks do? They set the automatic controls. It's a gyroscope attachment that keeps her steady. And then they must have bailed out. And what's going to happen to us? You see, Monica, the fact is... Go on, Fred. Tell me the truth. I'll know if you don't. Well, we'll go on until our gas runs out or until a storm hits us. Then we'll dive into the sea. It's as good a way of killing Mr. Naylor as any. I see, son. Have we got any chance at all? Frankly, I don't know. Wait till I get a look inside of that control cabin. Holy mother, that's does. Cohen, stop it. Stop it! Yeah, Mr. Naylor? Stop playing that infernal mouth organ. Or if you must play it, play something cheerful. Yes, yeah, sure, Mr. Naylor, sure. How long do you think it'll be before we... Quiet, Cohen. Here's the commander back again. Well, young fella. The radio telephone's out of order. We can't signal. Fred, what about those patrol ships? You said they're 200 miles out to watch for unidentified aircraft. Won't they see us? They've seen us already, I expect. They'll send for an army fighter plane to investigate, but... Well, what can it do? Yeah. Shoot us down, maybe, huh? That's fine. If only somebody could fly the plane. Well, nobody can, Skipper, so think of something else. See, Mr. Naylor... I was wrong. Wrong, son? About what? One of your party, and I can guess which one, dropped a torn piece of paper. There was a line of writing on it, probably the end of some instructions. Well? Those instructions ended, you should land just as your fuel fails at 7 o'clock a.m. You should land just as your fuel fails at 7 o'clock a.m.? But that might not have anything to do with this, son. What made you suspicious of it? Because it was written in German. In German? Quiet, Colin. I can't hear myself think. Okay, okay, Mr. Naylor. I'm sorry. I thought the fake pilots were kidnapping you, maybe abroad. There's not enough fuel for that, is there? Well, if there's enough fuel for Los Angeles, then there's enough for Europe. Well, that won't work. They bailed out and left us to crash. Excuse me, sir. But it's getting black as pitch out there. I think there's a storm coming up. What happens when that hits us? Plenty, O'Reilly. Plenty. Yeah, well, I was afraid of that. If only somebody could fly this plane, I could navigate it. Navigate it? Yes. You have to learn aerial navigation in my business. With enough figuring, I might even set a new course and try the automatic controls on it. No, I, I don't dare handle the ship. Wait a minute. I know a way out of this. Well, then speak up, miss. Is a 90-mile wind going to hit us any minute? The air hostess, of course. Miss Lee, what about her? I remember reading somewhere that most air hostesses get flying instructions when they've been with the company for a, well, a given length of time. You know, Miss Vale, that's true. There was a girl of Inter Airways who told me the same thing. And if this one can even make a try at landing a plane, well, we may get back to New York yet. I thought you said she'd been knocked out. Well, she isn't badly hurt, but there's just a chance that maybe she's... There's Shepard, coming back from the pantry. Anybody got a drink? Wasn't very pleasant back there. How is she? You know, we were just wondering whether Miss Lee might be in any shape to pilot the plane. Pilot the plane? Why in blazes should she pilot the plane? There's no time to explain now, Shepard. But we're bound for Davy Jones unless something's done. Could she do it? No. Not even if we, uh, revived her? 
Not if all the doctors on earth stood at her side. Why, but I... I don't think you understand, sir. Miss Lee has just died. Thin singing of wind above the clouds. Then storm with a white eye of lightning at the windows. Losing height, gaining it again. Blown off her blind course, flung partway back again. Always racing forward on a flight to nowhere. Late afternoon, evening, night. The steady throbbing of motors like a pulse beat inside the head. Towards morning, the storm dies away. In that dim cabin, there is exhaustion of nerves. The hands of the clock stand at a quarter of two in the morning. Monica. Monica. Wake up. It's Fred. Now keep your voice down. Have I been asleep? Yes, for a couple of hours. They say condemned criminals sleep on the night before their execution. Where are the others? I was a boy back home, the county down. My father used to say to me, Barney O'Reilly, says he, did you ever see a banshee? A banshee, says he. Is the old woman that lets you know when you're going to die. Wipe down, you two. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Neal. No uh, no offense, Chief. Can't a man play a quiet game of solitaire without somebody yapping all the time? Black nine on red ten. Listen, Monica, and listen carefully. My first idea was right after all. What are you talking about? There's somebody aboard this ship who can fly a plane. What? Shh. There is. I've proved it by the automatic controls. Proved it how? If those controls had stayed as they originally were, the side winds would have blown us clear off our course. But we're still on our course. That shows that somebody's been sneaking in there and setting us right again when we do stray. Then you mean... I mean that we're headed for somewhere. We're being taken somewhere. But we may outwit this gentleman yet. Out with who? Is somebody still talking back there? I'm sorry, Mr. Naylor. Monica's just waked up. None of us can feel very much like sleeping anyway. You're right, son. I admit it. Come up here and join me, will you? With pleasure. I cheated myself in this twice in this card game. But I still can't make it come out. Oh, what's the use pretending anyway? We know we're in for it. It's this <laughs> waiting that gets you. Yeah. Yeah, that goes for all of us, Mr. Naylor. What I'm dreading is... Is the minute when those motors choke and go dead, and we start whirling down, down, down. What does it sound like, Commander, when when motors conk out? I've never heard it, Mr. Naylor, but I imagine it sounds like. Listen. I imagine it sounds like that. We're losing height. I can feel it. Well, Corn, I guess this is the payoff. Yeah, you said it. But look here, Mr. Naylor. We can't be out of fuel because it's too early. Look at the clock. It's only five minutes to two o'clock. I beg your pardon, old man. It's five minutes to seven o'clock. Seven o'clock? Are you crazy? No. Haven't you forgotten the cross-ocean changes in time? By George, the commander's right. European time is five hours ahead of our time. If you don't believe me, just notice that it's getting daylight outside. I was thinking of that message. You should land just as your fuel fails at seven o'clock a.m. Stand perfectly still, all of you. 
Hey, what's got into little Art Fauntleroy? Hey. I'll show you what's got into me, my friend. Yes, I rather thought you would. I shall go into that control cabin. Follow me if you like. I shall sit down at the controls. And I shall bring this plane safely to the ground. Safely to the ground? Where? In Germany, of course. Germany? Don't pull a gun, Cohen. If you plug him, we're all done for. That is good advice, Mr. Cohen. I might add that we're getting closer to the ground every minute. Ah, uh, for the love of... Do I take control? Yes, go ahead. But, uh, we're following you. Follow by all means. All right. Let's get comfortable here. I take up my position, so... There's fog below. Can you see? Well enough, Miss Dale. Well enough. We must go down rather quickly. And I can't help if it's somewhat rough on your ears. You young swine, what's the idea? The idea, dear patron, is to bring you and your plans for a submarine freighter to a country which will appreciate them. And those two fake pilots? They were colleagues of mine. Unfortunately, if they had remained, your pug uglies would have started a gunfight and none of us might have got here. Well? So they left by parachute. And I brought you safely without blood or toil into the boundaries of the Third Reich. You're going down too fast, man. Now, take it easy. I am perfectly in command, thank you. Look out! Am... The trees are coming man. straight up at us! Are you all right, Monica? Are you all right? Yes. Oh, only a bit shaken up. We're all okay here, Skipper. Shall I give this guy the works now before they come to get us? No, don't shoot. Let him alone. That also is good advice. And now, my friends, my mission is ended. I stand up on the pilot's chair. I throw open this glass hatch. And to all Germany, to all the world, I cry. This is das gestohlene Flugzeug im Begriff zu landen auf Feld Nummer 21. Heil Hitler. Well, strike me blind if it ain't another one. Yes, first Rudolf S. and now this bloke. What do you suppose they want over here? English. Why are you speaking English? Why, cocky? It's an even habit we've got in this country. This isn't England. Oh, yes, it is. Better climb out of here and with your hands up. But it can't be. I followed the course laid down on those instruments. Unfortunately, old man, I altered our course last night. Keep back, Shepard, or you may get a bullet in the head yet. Your instructions were all right, but they didn't tell you about the five hours difference in time. When we got to the right navigation point, I let the fuel out of the tanks and made you think we were landing in Germany. <laughs> you know, there's nothing like having a good Nazi for a taxi driver, is there? And so ends Death Flies Blind, starring Richard Dix with Gail Page and Montague Love. Tonight's tale of Suspense. William Spear, the producer, Ted Bliss, director, Lud Gluskin and Lucian Mahowick, the conductor and composer, and John Dixon Carr, the author, collaborated on tonight's Suspense. That's Richard Dix in Death Flies Blind on Suspense from May the 4th, 1943. Next, Dick Powell stars as Richard Diamond, private detective, after these words. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But 
We also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. This is Christopher Lee welcoming you back to Mystery Theater. Now, Dick Powell stars in The John Blackwell Case on Richard Diamond, Private Detective. <laughs> Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Is this the Diamond Detective Agency? Yeah. Down, up, round, and down. Mr. Diamond, I presume? Yes, and maybe no. Down, up, round, and round. Yeah, I, I don't understand you. Uh, yes, I'm Diamond, and you're not presuming on me, not if you're a client. Oh, no, that's not what I mean. What is that object you're playing with? Uh, this? This is a yo-yo. You make it go down, up, round, and down. See? Uh, yes, yes. But, but I came in on business, Mr. Diamond. I want to hire you. Just drop it like this. Down, up. As a detective. Oh. Well, a hundred a day in expenses, and I throw in the yo-yo lessons free. Yeah, Mr. Diamond, are you in a business? Do you have the hundred a day? I do. I am. That's fine. Your name? Oh, I, I can't tell you that. Goodbye. Will you kindly put that thing away? I have a terrible head. Oh, I don't know. It's not so bad. Carve it yourself? Why, you insufferable... Now, wait a minute. Until we've had a formal introduction, the word insufferable is your ticket for a new set of dentures. Now, why don't we get formal and save your gums that lonely feeling? I told you my name is not important. That I believe, but let's kick it around anyway. Is that necessary? Look, look, you said you wanted to hire me. So either tell me your name or what you wanted me to do, or let me get back to my practicing. Uh, I should find another detective, but you came highly recommended, so 
All right. Uh, you can call me uh, Johns. Other wife? What? Forget it. Initials on your briefcase read J.B. Oh, oh, that, uh, it's one I borrowed. So, now that I've conquered your coyness, what's the pitch? Pitch? Oh, oh, you mean my assignment. Oh, it's very simple, but first, I must insist that no word of this conversation leaves your office. So far, no one would believe it anyhow. But my ethics are in good order, Mr. Johns. Good, good. This must be kept very secret. Shall I pull down the blinds and stuff the keyhole? Oh, that shan't be necessary, thank you. Your secret is... Uh, murder, Mr. Diamond. Oh, I just knew you were going to say that. Where's the corpse? Uh, the corpse? Oh, that's what I came to you for. I want to have professional advice on every angle before I kill. Now, you've had police experience. And uh, I... Unless my hearing aid's on the blink, you're saying you want to commit a murder. Oh, not want. I'm going to. This evening. Oh. What do you want me for? The victim? Oh, I have the victim, the opportunity, method, uh, and the man to handle the uh, details. However, I want to be sure that I'm not tripped up by my lack of foresight to police procedures. Uh, sure, 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 yeah. Uh, whom are you calling? The police, but you'll probably get sent to Bellevue. Mr. Diamond, your ethics. Ethics about concealing or helping a murder are free passage to Sing Sing. The phone. Put it down quickly. Oh, my. Isn't that shiny? A real gun. Those things are illegal, you know. Must you shake it so much? Uh, oh, sorry. I, I'm a little nervous. Oh, swell. You're nervous. Hey, quiet, quiet. I'm thinking. This visit has obviously been an error. Perhaps not a fatal one. Let's see. I have it. Into the closet. What? With my bicycle? It'll be too crowded. Your bicycle? Oh, my exercise bicycle. That's my, there's my rowing board and oh, my, my weight. Oh, be quiet. Stop walking. Oh, this is ridiculous. Now open that door. Oh, okay. Uh, now that bicycle. It has a seat? Well, yes. Sit on it. So the Diamond Detective Agency sat in the stuffy closet listening to the sound of the desk being pulled over and jammed against the door. Not having anything better to do except call myself names, I rode. On my fifth lap around the world, I gave birth to a brainchild and began applying the art of leverage against the blockaded door using both legs and the flat of my back. Result? A Charlie horse. On the third lap following, I came up with something more substantial. A heavy barbell. Four smashes and three torn ligaments later, the thin door collapsed over the desk blocking it. I picked my way over the debris, trying to focus my eyes to the light. By instinct, more than sight, I found the phone. But as I reached to pick it up, I suddenly realized I was shaking hands with someone. Back up, Diamond. Oh, this is getting ridiculous. All my clients waving guns at me. I'm no client, Diamond. Mr. Johns wants I should keep your company for a while. Oh, well, you're a small one. This gun makes me a big one, Diamond. Real big. That's why my nickname is Big Man, even though I'm only four feet tall. Well, maybe I could help you. I've got a lot of exercise things. Be funny or shut up. How about a few yo-yo lessons? <laughs> See, it's very funny. Shut up. Big Man, what would happen if I took that gun away from you? You want to try? Uh, I was giving it a thought. But on second thought, uh, no. Yeah, smart shamus. I can empty this magazine in your stomach before you make two steps. It... Rick, I... Oh, I didn't know you had a client. Take it easy, Diamond. I got a gun in my pocket. Uh, the, uh Helen, Helen, baby, come in. Uh, uh, meet Big Man McCarthy, an old, old pal from PS69. Big Man, this is uh, Miss Asher. Yes, delighted, Mr. McCarthy. Hey, same here, chick. Say, pal, you got good taste. Some built. <laughs> Such a flatterer. Rick, what happened to your closet? Uh, the termites broke my non-aggression pact. Uh, what's on your mind, baby? 
Well, I came to see if you were ready for the benefit tonight. You are, aren't you? Oh, well, am I? Just watch this new yo-yo trick. They call it round the world. Oh, wonderful. Oh, Rick, you know so many things. Where'd you learn that? The PS-69, of course. Where else? Mr. McCarthy. Do it again, Rick. I want to see how you do it. Sure, baby. Just watch. You take it in your hand like this and throw it out like this. (laughs) Rick, you struck that poor little man. No. Well, that poor little man had a big nasty gun in his pocket and it was pointed right at my breakfast. Why, that horrible little... Why didn't you hit him harder? He might have hurt you. Oh, darling, are you sure you're all right? I'm sure, baby. Will you send for the police? He should be behind... Now, look, Helen, this is my department. You'll go along with your errand. Rick, he's dangerous. Helen, will you go away? I have a few questions I want to ask this little hood, and you'll be of no help, believe me. Well, all right, but you be careful. Oh, and uh, about tonight. It's not at my apartment, but the Parker's penthouse up above in the same building. Now, come early and help Francis and me get things ready. Stop pushing. I'll see you tonight, baby. Oh, Rick, are you sure I can't stay? Go, scat. Now, for you, Mr. Big Man. Come here. Wake up. Wake up. The mule train went that way. Come on, come out of it. Ah, that's you, huh? Yeah, me. Now, what's the real name of your boss? Who's he going to kill? You can stop the questions, Diamond. I'm not going to talk. Want me to wring it out of you like a wet wash? Who is Mr. Johns? You know, there's a big advantage in being little, Diamond. Yeah, you can hide under smaller rocks. (laughs) Who's your boss? There's another advantage, too. A man my size can be awfully hard to catch. What? Hey, come back here. Yeah, <laughs> he never looked so good. Shut up, Otis. He's really been worked over. Wonder what gang did this to him. Rick, Rick, snap out of it. Oh, oh. Rick, what happened? Oh, just came through the door. Oh, what? Coming through the door couldn't wreck you like that. Oh, without opening it? You mean? Oh no! You got that shiner by running into the door? <laughs> Shut up, Otis. Okay, Rick, where's the body? Uh, beside you. That's Otis. I mean, where's the corpse? Uh, the corpse isn't a corpse yet. Otis, get my bicarbonate. Hey, yellow pill. Go on, Rick. The corpse isn't a corpse. Tell me, what is it? A ghost? Exactly. Otis? Hey, hey yellow pill. Mm. Now, Rick, do me a favor. Please tell me what you're talking about. Oh, you aren't trying, Walt. All I said was that the corpse isn't a corpse yet and that it's a ghost because I don't know who's going to be the corpse. Rick, before I go stark raving mad, will you tell me what you're talking about? Well, a man came into my office this morning said he was going to commit a murder. Threw a gun on me when I started to call you. Locked me in a closet. I broke out only to find he left this little man, big man, the midget who just ran out of here. Stop, please. So Helen came in. I turned the tables on big man. She left. I asked questions, drew a blank. Big man started to run. Why didn't you nab him? He ran through the door. I ran into it. You're up to date. (laughs) I'm up to date. Get him. I'm up to my ears in confusion. So we've got a man who's going to murder someone. All right, what's his name? He said Johns, but it's a phony. Initials on his briefcase read J.B. Uh, say, Shamus, what do you look like? Uh, Otis, do you have a son? Oh, you know I don't. Well, that's what he looked like. Rick, are you sure this J.B. is planning to kill someone tonight? Well, if he isn't, he sure took a lot of pains for nothing. Let's get down to headquarters. I want to check the files. Well, okay, but we don't keep files on ghosts. Well, by the way, why did you come up here? Helen called, said you were holding a pigeon for us. Oh, lovely girl. I'll say. 
Can I have a dance with her at the benefit tonight? No, uh, no, Otis. I think I better fix you up with Francis. Swell. Otis, you gravelhead. Francis is a butler. Oh, it's all right, Lieutenant. I like them foreign dames. More from Richard Diamond, private detective, after these words. If you enjoy classic radio shows like The Lone Ranger, Sam Spade, Burns and Allen, Have Gun, Will Travel, Gangbusters, and Sherlock Holmes, become a member of the Classic Radio Club. Each month, you'll receive 10 half-hour classic radio shows along with historical liner notes. The 10 shows will be on five CDs or via digital download, whichever you prefer. You'll also receive an email every week with a digital link to the full five-hour Hollywood 360 radio show and the 30-minute Radio Rarities podcast that Carl Amari and I co Host. In total, you'll receive 34 classic radio shows per month. Become a Classic Radio Club member at ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535 to speak to a live operator. Log on to ClassicRadioClub.com or call 815-900-7535. That's 815-900-7535. Now, back to... Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Well, that's all the pictures, Walt. I've looked them all. Johns doesn't have a record, neither does Big Man. Yeah, they wouldn't. The one time we get a chance to stop a murder before it's committed, and we've even got a good description of the potential killer. Walt, this... This J.B. was no bum, not even an ordinary working man. His clothes are expensive, and the briefcase he carried probably cost more than your weekly salary. Now, it's an even bet he belongs to the social upper crust, that or close to it. That would narrow the field a lot, but still... How I... about the newspapers, Walt? They have society reporters who know anyone who is anyone. It's a long shot, but name, name me a better. You could go through the newspaper morgues. They might have a picture of Oh, some... no, no, Walt, no pictures. I'm nearly blind from looking at pictures now. Thanks, but I'll try the reporters with a description. It sounds like you're going to search for a needle in a haystack. Oh, Otis, please. Your cliche is showing. Ah, uh, that's screwy. You can't kid me. Only dames wear cliches. How could mine be showing? Besides, Ed, when you die, will your brain to a clinic, maybe they'll discover a cure for it. Ah, uh, lay off. Besides, I got a good idea for your investigation. I wouldn't miss hearing this for my next two issues of Batman. Yeah, I was thinking you could maybe save a lot of time if you got an artist to draw a picture from your description. They do it in all the movies and catch crooks easy. Otis, how would you like a transfer hey, to Staten? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You may have an idea. I know where there's an artist who could sketch J.B. from a description. It's crazy, but you may as well try it, Rick. Otis, you can drive him there. Uh, uh, Lieutenant. Uh, tell him yes, Walt. I can't stand to see him cry. All right, Otis, you can use the siren. <laughs> Come on, Otis, it's right at the head of the stairs. Uh, who is this guy? Her uh, name's Vladimir, and be careful, he's temperamental. Oh, that's okay, I've been vaccinated. What, what, what? Open up, Vladimir. Wrong address. Go away. My name Patrick O'Brien. It's Diamond, not the landlord. 
Comrade, come in. Stalin. No, Vladimir, that's Sergeant Otis. Oh, what a startle he gave me. Uh, Vladimir, can you sketch a man's face from a description? Can I sketch a man's face from a description? Can I sketch? Did I not once sketch the whole Russian army? And with one pencil? Okay, Vladimir, but can you do it? Comrade, you doubt it? I am the greatest artist that's impossible. I can draw. Uh, comrade, you are paying cash money. Cash money? Oh, for that I can draw you Siberia and never miss a salt mine. I'm such a genius, I can't stand myself. Another man, Vladimir. Can you sketch the man's face? I think so. Okay, but make it fast. I'll give you the general idea and correct you as you go. Corrections you can make. One criticism, I go back to my shave cream signs. Come with me to my hizzle. Well, almost, Vladimir, but the nose still isn't quite right. Make it look a little more like a pickle. Sweet? Bill, off that side, just a pinch. Oh, like this? Yeah, yeah, you've done it. That's him. Ah, how much do I owe you? For you, comrade... Hundred dollars. What? Fifty dollars. A buck. S sell my genius for a buck? <laughs> I die first. A buck and a quarter. Comrade, please, I'm capitalist now. A buck and a half. Last price. I wouldn't. Last price. Last price, I take it. But I may die. If you do, give me a call. It's a good job, Vladimir. Of course. Was I not the artist to sketch the Tsar himself? Of course, it didn't pay so well, but it was great honor. It looks pretty fuzzy to me. Comrade Diamond, your patronage I appreciate. But if you must bring along this peasant, don't. Even his face makes me sick with the repulse. Uh, Otis, come on. You have to pardon him, Vladimir. Whenever his shoelaces come untied, his brains slip out. See you later. Ochichornia, comrade. When we left Vladimir, I sent Otis back to Walt and took off with the newspapers. I showed the sketch to one society reporter after another and watched the many heads shake my eyes began to cross. It was 6.30 when I finished playing Quizmaster, and there was no use kidding myself. I had struck out. I had to tell Walt, so I started for the 5th Precinct. I was at a point where I'd have hocked my Social Security for 30 seconds with a little big man. Then as I walked down the street, I suddenly felt the nerves in my spine jump down into the pit of my stomach, and goose pimples skidded up my back like scared rice. It was a feeling I'd had before. So without turning, I headed for the steps of a basement apartment. <laughs> Well, I got my meeting with Big Man all right. It came within inches of being a vamp into a Gabriel solo. Big Man apparently thought his shots hit pay dirt. But when I peeked over the top of the stairs, he was in his car and going. I took in the torn knees of my pants, said a few messages to the spirit world that would have barred me from any seance, and hauled what was left of the Diamond Detective Agency to see Walt Levinson. Well, you can have it, Walt. This is getting ridiculous. Beating my brains out, getting shot at, and for what? Shot at? That's right. I said shot at. You can have the whole stupid mess. I like to get fees for playing post office with slugs. And if a guy gets killed, call me. I'll help with the embalming. But, but... Oh, but nothing. It's seven o'clock, and I'm not sticking around to spread a three-way crying job over a killing that may already have happened. I'm going to Helen's and get a drink. Oh, all right. Go ahead, Rick. There's nothing more you can do anyhow. I'll see you later. All right. And you stop looking like a panda with a bellyache, Otis. No, what did I do? Oh, shut up. Uh, hey, where you going? I'm going out and punch the first little guy I can find right in the nose, just on general principles. I left the precinct and headed for Helen's party. 
I remembered that the benefit was being held in the penthouse and went on up. I was surprised to find Helen's butler, Francis, opening the door. Good evening, Mr. Depp. Oh, my, did you have an accident? This day has been an accident, Francis, but if you mean my clothes, I was playing spin the bottle with a bulldozer. You do look a little battered, if I may say so, sir. You ought to see the bulldozer. What are you doing opening the door up here? Oh, the Parker's butler was taken ill, sir. As I was helping Miss Asher with the decorations anyway, I remain to take his place for this evening. Is she here? Yes, yeah, yeah, she's in the living room, sir. Thanks, I'll go on in. Over here. Hello, baby. What? Get you a bus? Just a door and a sidewalk. The bus I get later. Oh, Rick. And just look at your suit. It's ruined. Now, what's with the concern over my suit? You lobbying for my tailor? I wanted you to look your very best tonight. Here, let me see those knees. Come on, sit over here. That's it. No. Oh, well, they're not as bad as I thought. Oh, cheer up. Maybe they'll get infected. That'll help. Who did this to you, Rick? Our sweet little friend of this morning, Big Man, or I should say his boss, J.B. He's the one who sent Big Man after me. J.B.? A specter sent to haunt me for my past sins. He hired the little killer you saw me sock with my yo-yo. Your yo Oh, you haven't lost your yo-yo, have you? Oh, Helen, baby, your Ricky's nearly been killed. Must you worry about my yo-yo? I'm sorry, but it is all right. In my pocket, here. See? Good as new. Oh, that's fine. Now, what about this J.B. person? Why did he send Big Man to kill you, Rick? Because I know he's going to commit a murder tonight. Maybe doing it right now. Wait a minute. You said Big Man. Did you let him go this morning? Uh, yeah, yeah, I let him go. And I've worn my feet off up to my eyebrows trying to find out who his boss is and who's on the spot to get knocked off. Oh, poor Ricky. I wish I could help you. It's not me that needs help now. I quit. It's the guy J.B. is after. J.B., are those his real initials? Yeah. No, we've had lots of things to go on. Initials, descriptions, even a sketch of him. Here, I've got it in my pocket for all the good it did. Oh, wait, don't tear it up. Let me look at it. Oh, Rick, silly. This is no murderer. That's a sketch of Johnny Blackwell. It's a... Helen, you know who this man is? Of course. It's Johnny Blackwell from Newport. He and his wife are up here visiting Adam Worcester. Rick, what is it? You're, you're all turning blue. All day long, I... When you were in my office, you could... Oh, if I'd only ask Helen... Yes, Rick? Give me some cyanide, no water. Oh, but you must be mistaken about the sketch. Johnny Blackwell can't be a murderer. Well, I'm getting out of here. Where can I find him? If you'll just sit still, he'll come to you. Adam Wister's bringing him and his wife to the benefit tonight. <laughs> Well, that's the way the screwy world works sometimes. One minute you're on your uppers, with a stick of bologna, you're trying to hold off three guys with swords, then Kismet makes a switch and tags your side for a gain in your living. I called Walt to pass on the good news, and in eight and a half minutes by the clock, he joined me with Sergeant Otis in the kitchen from where we could peek out at the growing crowd. Let me take a look, Rick. Is Blackwell come in yet? Oh, stay back. I'll let you know. Otis. Get out of that icebox. Oh, I'm hungry. You heard me. Oh, there's fried chicken, Lieutenant. Fried chicken? Oh, I haven't had... Otis. Oh. Walt, Walt, come take a look. There's Blackwell. Where? Over there, just sitting down. The man with the sandy hair. Yeah, yeah, I see him. 
Who are those people with him? Well, the woman must be his wife. Oh, but get a load of the little weasel. That's big man, the guy who got away from me this morning. Oh, and the other man? Must be Adam Wister. Helen said he was bringing the black balls. Well, he did. So now we wait for the play. Well, we waited and watched the Black Bull party settle down to enjoy itself. Big man acted like he hadn't eaten for a week and made hors d'oeuvres vanish in his mouth like marbles down a manhole. After what seemed like weeks, the situation grew, suddenly took shape. On Blackwell's urging, Big Man rose to dance with Mrs. Blackwell. Mrs. Blackwell was a dark-haired honey with curves right out of one of my better dreams. But my mind was on her husband and Worcester. As soon as they had the chance, they got up and headed out of the room. Watch them, Rick. They're headed for the library. Come on, this way. Through this door and down the hall. Well, Adam, it's nice to be visiting you again. Well, glad to have you, Johnny. We're sorry to hear about your losses in the market last year. The story here was that you were cleaned out. Hey, Diamond, what's he saying? Shut up, Oh, I still have a little money, Adam. In fact, I'd like to buy back in with you as a partner. You don't have that much, Johnny. And your wife won't give it to you. She may, Adam. She may, and quicker than you think. Walt, come on. We picked no, the wrong victim. Let's find the big man. Hey, it's nice on the terrace, Mrs. Blackwell. Yeah, real nice out here. I don't like it. It's chilly. Oh, it'll warm up, Mrs. Blackwell. No, I'm going back in. Better not. I don't like the way you're acting, big man. Get out of my way. Get back and shut up. How dare you talk to me like that, you little... Now I'm big, Mrs. Blackwell, real big. A gun? What in the world? I'm gonna kill you. Kill me? Yeah. Only it'll look like an accident. Why, this is ridiculous. What kind of a joke is this? <laughs> it's no joke, Mrs. Blackwell. Your husband don't think it's no joke. He wanted me to tell you he was real sorry. Now I'm gonna kill you. You mean it? You really mean it? Yeah, sure, Mrs. Blackwell. Mr. Blackwell needs your dough. Bad. Back up. He can have it, all of it. Only don't kill me. Don't. Sorry, Mrs. Blackwell, too no. late. Now start back. Please, please. Over to that wall. You're going to play Humpty Dumpty. Oh. That's right. Now oh, get up no. on the wall. No, no. I'm a guy who's willing to help you. Me, too. Diamond, why you? Catch the girl, Walt. Big man's mine. He, he was going to kill me. All right, Mrs. Blackwell. Take her inside, Otis. Rick, you okay? Yeah, getting my hands on this little rat was better than a year's vacation. Well, we sure heard enough to give both him and Blackwell a long vacation on the state. Keep him on ice. I'll collect the other one. I'll be delighted. Oh, oh my joy. Oh, waking up? What a shame. What a lovely party. I do love these informal get-togethers, don't you, big man? It was short but very sweet, the wind-up of the no-one-was-murdered case. The score was the kind to make you forget you didn't get a fee. Two killers caught, no victims. When I saw Walt take the little big man, not so big without his gun, and his boss Blackwell off to the Bastille, my worries melted like a snowman in a blast furnace. And speaking of melting, the lovely Mrs. Blackwell showed signs of being upset. So, what could I do but console the pretty little thing? Oh, Mr. Diamond, I think you were so wonderful and brave. Oh, you show a few nice points yourself, Mrs. Blackwell, and call me Rick. You saved my life, Rick. And call me Rita. You can get to the point quick. Why, Rita, I... Oh, there you are, Mrs. Blackwell. I know you must be terribly upset. Oh, Rick has been a great comfort to me. 
I'll bet he has. But I've arranged for Francis to take you home. Uh, now. Now? Oh, well, thank you, Miss Asher. And Rick. Yes? Don't worry about the name calling. Just say, hey, you. I'll know what you mean. I think I know what you mean. By you. Well? So help me, I'm innocent. With lipstick on your collar? That Otis. I've warned him to be careful with my shirts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, time for my yo-yo act? Your act. I... Oh, Rick, uh, about that... No, now, now, look. I've worked my finger to the bone practicing. Don't tell me. Why, well, you specifically asked me to be here tonight. I, I know. And come on with me over to the bandstand. Oh, no. No, you don't. I'm an artist tonight, not a singer. No sing, no yo-yo. You mean if I sing, I can do my yo-yo act? You make it pretty. Uh, it's blackmail, but I'll do it. Well, you stay right here. I want to talk to the orchestra leader. Okay, I'll practice. Well. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Richard Diamond, his piano, and his yo-yo. <laughs> Sing good, Rick. Like a robin with a sponsor. Are the stars out tonight? I don't know if it's cloudy or bright Cause I only have eyes for you, dear The moon may be high But I can't see a thing in the sky Cause I only have eyes for you I don't know if we're in a garden Or on a crowded avenue You are here, so am I Maybe millions of people go by But they all disappear from view and I only have eyes for you. And now, Mr. Diamond will present an exhibition of dexterity. Now? Now. Oh, no, Shamus, no. You're doing it all wrong. You gotta use my wrist action. Oh, to stay out of the act. Oh, come on, let me show you. Here, give it to me. Now you you start it down like this. Helen. Yes, Rick. He's better. Uh, let's go home and neck. Wait till I get my hat. You have just heard Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Helen was played by Virginia Gregg, Lieutenant Levinson by Ed Begley. Also in our cast were Wilms Herbert, Hans Conried, Grace Albertson, Sidney Miller, and High Everback. Music was under the direction of Frank Worth. Tonight's story was written by Herb Purdom and edited and directed by Blake Edwards. Portions of the program were transcribed. Dick Powell soon will be seen in the screen version of the best-selling novel, Mrs. Mike. <laughs> now this is Tal Avery inviting you to be with us again at the same time next week 
when we will again bring you Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Saturday night is packed with entertainment when you stay tuned for NBC's star lineup of shows. There's always a program of interest on NBC. Now stay tuned for Edward G. Robinson and the Hollywood Star Theater on NBC. That's Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, private detective in the John Blackwell case from December the 17th. 1949. In a moment, the man called X. Welcome back to Mystery Theatre. I'm your host, Christopher Lee. Now, Herbert Marshall stars as secret agent Ken Thurston, who travels the world in an effort to make it a safer place. Here's the National Easter Party on The Man Called X. Now we present Herbert Marshall as The Man Called X. Herbert Marshall as The Man Called X. Wherever there is mystery, intrigue, romance, in all the strange and dangerous places of the world, there you will find The Man Called X. miles to the south of Florida it lies, south of the Bimini Islands, Nassau and ancient Hispaniola, a land of surf and palm lined shore, a paradox of modern buildings and tropical splendor. It is the island of Puerto Rico, a land of peace and native songs and exotic flowers, and of violence. Talk, you pig. I said talk, Rubira. Talk. No, no, I will tell you nothing, nothing. You will tell us who else knows of your suspicions or we will... Carlos. It is enough. But, Senor Jimenez... If he will not talk, he will not talk. Not to you, Jimenez. Not to a traitor to Puerto Rico, to the United States. You are quite right, amigo. You will not talk to Pedro Jimenez. Not to anyone else. <laughs> So, I believe that finishes our business here. Come along, Carlos. Si, Senor Jimenez. <laughs> Operator X. The man called X. Get me. Get the... Men Believe me, Mr. X, you won't ever regret taking me along here to Puerto Rico. I know every hatcher dive in San Juan. That figures. Sure, whatever it is you want here, I'm the guy who can fix it up. What have we had for now, Mr. X? Wine? Songs? Well, then. Pega, I want you to get me some information about the Nationalista Party. That's a cinch. When it comes to arranging parties, I'm the... The Nationalista Party. That's right. Oh, goodbye, Mr. X. I just remember it's forgot an important date back in Florida. Oh, relax, you idiot. But, but Mr. X, 
This nationalist, the joker, sir. They would just as soon cut your throat for a nickel. The sooner even. Then you know him. Oh, I won't admit that. Nothing. Positively nothing. Not for a million bucks would I have anything to do with the... With the... Hey. Hey, that's a C-note. Yeah. Well, Mr. Thurston, my oldest and, and dearest friend. <laughs> if there's any little thing I can... Uh... Hey. Here you are, Pedro. But you tore it in two pieces. And you're only giving me half? You'll get the other half when you get me some dope about the Nationalista. And why Luis Rubiera was killed. Oh, but Mr. Thurston... You'll find me at the offices of La Libertad, Rubiera's newspaper. But Mr. Rex... So long, Pega. I knew you would come here, Kim. Luis always said you could never refuse a call for help from a friend. Your husband was more than a friend, Maria. See, I know. During the war, the two of you were... But that is past history now. Maybe not. No, of course not. You are here to help him with the same fight again. That's right, Maria. What can you tell me about it? Well, perhaps Steve Bennett can help me explain. Bennett? See, he was working with Louis when he was... One moment, Ken. Steve, would you come in here a moment, please? Of course, Maria. Steve is the managing editor of our English edition. He was Louis' right-hand man in the investigation. What can I do for you, Maria? Steve... This is Ken Thurston. Ken, Steve Bennett. Glad to know you, Thurston. How are you, Bennett? Ken is an old friend of Louis. He is here to help us in whatever way he can. Well, we can use help, Thurston. All we can get. We're up against some very tough competition. The, uh, Nationalista. That's right. Louis was one of the few men who realized what a real danger they are. So he went after them. Yes. With Steve's help. They were attempting to learn where the new underground headquarters were. And more important... Who was the real leader? You have any luck, Bennett? Oh, we helped the Secret Service round up some of the more obvious followers, the front men. But Luis was convinced that somebody big, somebody very powerful, was really behind the movement. He suspect anyone? Well, if he did, he was killed before he could tell us. Uh. Steve, Luis did suspect someone. Pedro Jimenez. Jimenez? No. Who's he? One of our most respected citizens. Philanthropist, a wealthy plantation owner, member of the Puerto Rican government. Mm, somebody big, somebody very powerful. Well, he fits the bill without question. And if Luis was right, but how can we prove it? If Luis was right, Bennett, we're going to prove it. Well, Mr. X, here we are. El Rio Bior. The River of Gold, you understand? No. Sure. Some crumb bum joint, eh, Mr. X? Luis Rubiero used to come here? That's right. And the dope I got is that he was here about that uh, nationalista part. So how about giving me the rest of that sea note, eh, Mr. X? I got a big deal cooking it, and I could use it. This deal of yours, does it have black hair, blue eyes, and wear a silver fox? How did you know? Coming over to the table now. Oh. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Let's Hello, baby. I've been waiting for you, muchacho. But I did not know you were going to bring a friend. Oh, don't let it bother you, baby. I got a little banking-type business to talk over a minute, and, and then you and me will go out with the town. <laughs> oh, it sounds most intriguing, Pagan. Uh, are you not forgetting something? Uh, huh? Forgetting what? My name's Ken Thurston, senorita. Oh. And mine is Nina Rodriguez, uh. Ken. 
Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Nina Rodriguez. Uh, how about that half a C note, Mr. Thurston? Hey? Tegan's told me so much about you, Ken. About the way in which the two of you work together so well. Oh. Uh, uh, look, baby. <laughs> On a second thought, business can wait. Let's brush out of this place right now, eh? You must find it most thrilling, Ken, to work with a man such as Tegan. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Now, now like I was saying... complimentary I... to you that he has made you his first assistant. Yes, isn't that nice? Well, <laughs> you know how to... Don't you, Mr. I... <clears throat> Would you like to dance, Nina? I'd love to. If Tegan does not mind... Well, I... Well, he won't mind. Will you, boss? Huh? Oh, sure, sure. Go right ahead. Come on, Nina. Don't mind me. I'll just wait here at the table. <laughs> so, Ken, what is it you wish to ask me? What makes you think I wanted to ask you something? I don't flatter myself that even my charms would make you wish to suffer to this impossible music. What is it? Silver fox and expensive jewelry hardly belong in a dive like this. And your heart is the type to go for Pago. But he has such a darling accent. Mm-hmm. He's also got a habit of giving out information. See, I discover that fact. So? I do have that habit, but with a difference. Pagan is susceptible to flattery and charm. I'm only susceptible to money. Huh. Shall we say... Uh, $10,000? Really? What information could be worth that kind of money? Who knows? Perhaps if one were interested in the death of Luis Rubira or in the Nationalista Party or in Senor Pedro Jimenez. Ah. You may not have too much time in which to decide. Why not? You'll learn when you return to your table. To my... Oh. <laughs> so you notice, Pegon is no longer there. Who is the man sitting there now? The one who will inform you why you do not have much time. Thank you for the dance, Ken. We'll meet again soon. And when we do, I would prefer to have the money in cash. Hasta la vista, Mashar. Hmm. You're waiting for me? You are Senor Thurston, no? That's right. See, I've been waiting for you. My name is Carlos. Carlos Mendoza. Is that supposed to mean something to me? I am a captain of the police. Huh? Say, I'm here to place you under arrest for the murder of Luis Rubia. At a dockside cafe in Puerto Rico, Ken meets Nina Rodriguez, who offers to sell him information about the Nationalista Party and about Pedro Jimenez, a wealthy plantation owner suspected of being the party's leader. But the conversation is interrupted by the arrival of Carlos Mendoza, captain of police, who puts Ken under arrest for the murder of Luis Rubira. Now, 20 minutes later, a black sedan twists up the curving mountain road leading to the inland plantation country of Puerto Rico. Carlos Mendoza is in the rear seat. In front, beside the policeman driver, is Ken Thurston, the man called X, with Mendoza's gun pointing at the back of his head. A pretty long ride to police headquarters, isn't it, Mendoza? Do not be concerned, Senor Thurston. We shall arrive in good time. At headquarters or Pedro Jimenez Plantation? Uh, what difference, senor? The ultimate destination of all murderers is the grave. And of course, you've got all the evidence against me that you need. What we do not have, we shall obtain. I see. You get rid of me, you close the fire on Rubira's murder, and Jimenez and the Nationalista Party go on their merry way. Senor Thurston, it is you who continually bring the name of Senor Pedro Jimenez into the conversation, not I. 
I am merely performing my duty in bringing a murderer to justice. Of course, and I wouldn't want your conscience tortured by the thought that you might have helped to convict an innocent man, so I'd better take that wheel. Don't you fool! You will kill us all! You will... But we got to do something, Mrs. Rivera. You're certain that Captain Mendoza... This Mendoza gives a practically kidnapped Mr. Thurston. I saw them yes. driving him away with guns. His name is Ken Thurston. We are doing all that we can for your Zelsmith. Where else? But until we are able to tell where they have taken him... All right. Thank you very much. Have you had any success, Steve? Nothing, Maria. Neither Captain Mendoza nor Ken Thurston has made an appearance at headquarters. Oh, oh Mr. Thurston. Maybe they're killing you or something. And he didn't even give me the other half of that C-note before he took him away. Cheer up, Pagan. You'll get it. <laughs> Thurston, what happened to you? Your clothes, the blood on your face. Well, there was a little accident from Mendoza's car, and Puerto Rico's back country is pretty rugged. Back country? What's it all about, Thurston? What was Mendoza trying to do? A rough guess would be that somebody tipped off Jimenez to the fact that we suspect him. So he sent his hired boy, Mendoza, to take care of me. Ken, Luis was right. Jimenez is the leader. We're on the right track, Maria. But proof, Thurston. Where are we going to get proof? And if they're desperate enough to pull a trick like the way the one they pulled tonight... Yeah, time's running out, but I think I know someone who can give us that proof. Who can? A girl by the name of Nina Rodriguez. <gasps> that little cookie? What's she's got to do with this? I have a hunch it's plenty. Of course, Ken. She used to be Jimenez's girlfriend. Louis mentioned her to me. If she could be persuaded to testify against him... I'm afraid that's an impossibility. Why, Bennett? This piece of copy came into the desk a little while ago. There was a murder in the parking lot of El Rio Doro tonight. The victim, Nina Rodriguez. Okay, Mr. X. I got the window open. Now what? We climb inside. Oh, but this is that big shot Jimenez's house. What if he finds us? We just saw him leave the plantation and head for San Juan. He won't be back for at least a couple of hours. Now climb in. All right, Pagan. That does it. Let's get out of here. But what if they see the wires? In some places, we couldn't hide them so good. That's a chance we'll have to take. Come on. You are certain everything went all right, Ken? The microphones are well hidden, Maria. Look, this is what we've done. We've connected them to the wires running up the hillside to this cave. We'll get down every word on this portable recorder. Oh, Ken, I am afraid something has gone wrong. It is already half an hour since we saw the lights of their cars pull up to the hacienda. And we have heard nothing yet. That only means they haven't gone into the library yet. But what if nobody in the joint feels like, like reading tonight? After all, maybe there's some good radio programs or, or, or something. And anyways, didn't you see the chief was going Hold to... it. I think I heard a door. Come in, gentlemen. Ken. May as well be comfortable in here while discussing our futures and the future of the party. Ken, they are coming into the library now. Start the recorder, Pagan. You bet. Oh, our plans have been well laid. If you carry out your assigned tasks as directed... Within a week, the Nacionalista Party should be in control of Puerto Rico. Do not worry, Senor Jimenez. We shall carry them out. Mendoza. You didn't carry them out so well with Thurston last night, Carlos. That's better. 
Who else could have pulled him in as I was after him? Senor Thurston, you regain consciousness at last. Yeah. Yeah. You must be Pedro Jimenez. At your service, senor. Yeah. Hmm. Back in your library, I see. I had you brought here after your little accident. I thought you might rest more comfortably in familiar surroundings. That's mighty nice of you. I trust the ropes are not too tight? Oh, no, no, no. Very satisfactory. Good. I've always prided myself on being a considerate host. Well, thanks. It is too bad that uh, you and I found ourselves pitted against one another on opposite sides of the world, as it were. Working together, we might have accomplished much. Working against each other, we have merely succeeded in achieving a stalemate. Is that what it is? Regretfully, I must confess it. Oh, Bennett and Carlos are still searching for your friends and the recording, but I do not delude myself into believing they will find them in time. That sounds more like a checkmate, Jimenez. Oh, no, no, not at all, my friend. While you have defeated me, I just as surely have defeated you. For I am going to kill you, you see. A beautiful weapon. Don't you agree? Is that the gun you used on Luis Rubiera? It is. You surprise me somewhat, Senor Thurston. Do you find no cause for alarm in this situation? Should I? Sometimes you Americans puzzle me. 
Why are you never intimidated by a display of strength? Never frightened by threats of armed aggression? We have been threatened before. Perhaps. But there is nothing more powerful on earth than strength of arms, as the entire Western world will someday learn to its sorrow. And as you are going to learn right now. Adios, Senor X. <laughs> Ken. Ken, are you all right? Yes, Chief. Thanks. Pagel and Maria got through then. Yeah, they did. Met me at the newspaper office as we had planned and... Hmm. Well, it looks like you were right when you told Jimenez there was no cause for alarm. I'm not so sure, Chief. What? Jimenez said it was too bad that we were working against each other rather than together. Too bad, he said, that we were on opposite sides of the world. And he was right. But as long as one of us believes only in guns, armed aggression, well, I guess we've got plenty of cause for alarm. Now, here is our star, Mr. Herbert Marshall. Thanks for being with us. Join us, won't you, when next I return as the man called X. Good night. That's Herbert Marshall as the man called X in the National Easter Party. From April the 21st, 1951. In a moment, we'll find out what's coming up on the next Mystery Theater. Be sure to join me next time on Mystery Theater when we'll hear the Lux Radio Theater and the conclusion to A Coffin for the Lady on Adventures by Morse. This is your host, Christopher Lee, saying thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Mystery Theater with your host, Christopher Lee. The producers of Mystery Theater wish to thank this station and Radio Spirits for helping make this series possible. This copyrighted radio series is written by Dennis Etchison, Jim McCants speaking. In a world saturated with glossy facades comes a podcast that's breaking barriers. This is Reppin. It's where we do a deep dive into subjects like belonging, to mental health, to courage, and more. On Reppin, you'll meet the faces you think you know and discover their untold stories. It's real, it's intimate, and it gives you insight into the real person behind the images. In a world of pretense, Reppin strips it all down. No filters, no facades. Learn and be empowered and find inspiration through thought-provoking stories that resonate with your journey. Every episode is an exploration into the truths and values that make us who we are. Representation, it's not just about race or gender. It's about you. Reppin ensures that every voice is heard. Every story is valued. So be seen, be heard, and be represented. Listen to Reppin wherever you get your podcasts.